The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is my honor and privilege to welcome Deborah Eden Tall. She is a meditation and mindfulness teacher and sustainability consultant who teaches the integration of compassionate awareness into every aspect of our lives. She has been traveling to, living in, or teaching about sustainable communities internationally for 20 years, including her time seven years at a silent Zen monastery peace center. I had the pleasure of meeting Deborah Edenthal in La Crosse, Wisconsin. We were both at a Women's Share conference. That's when I learned that she was the founder of Mindful Living Revolution and the author of a terrific book called The Natural Kitchen, Your Guide to the Sustainable Food Revolution. I picked up The Natural Kitchen, and I have found it to be one of the most excellent kitchen resources we could ask for. So, Eden, welcome. It's really nice to be here. Thank you, Melinda. Well, I think when I informed everyone that you lived for seven years at a silent Zen monastery, I don't think I was alone in wondering what was your life path that led you to that place. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm happy to share about that. I had grown up in Los Angeles in a very complex city with a lot of adversity. Um, my parents were activists and social workers, and I always had an awareness of the suffering in the world, and also the lack of sustainability that I didn't see being addressed, especially in those years in a place like Los Angeles. And so I left right after high school to really commit to a journey of finding out where are the teachers of sustainability, of a different way of life, where can I gather the information and resources I need. One of the very very first things I did was to learn to grow my own food and to begin to learn how to live closely to the earth. And during that time, a big question, because I was educating people in sustainability during that time as well, was how do I help people really make the connection inside themselves about how to live in a more interconnected world, how to live with interconnection more at the forefront of their awareness. And interconnection is something that we all can think about and intellectualize about and then sometimes have real experiences of, but what what does it mean to embody um, interconnection? And at the very same time as I was teaching about sustainability and learning about food sustainability, I was meditating. And for me personally, just because of the challenges I had been through in life, I found that it was a priceless practice and I continued to find a much more peaceful and compassionate relationship with myself. So there was one particular retreat that I went on that was at this silent monastery, and I surprised everyone, including myself, at the end of it by saying, oh, wow, I think I'm about to drop everything and become a monk, which is not something I thought I would do before. But one of the connections I made was that 
the interconnection I had been trying so hard to teach through sustainability education, I felt that I could access very, very naturally through the practice of mindfulness and meditation. So actually one of the things I do today, and it's something I've woven through the book, The Natural Kitchen, is using mindful awareness, conscious, compassionate awareness, to help us really get a sense of sustainability from the inside out. That's one of the ingredients that helps us to create a more sustainable world, really feeling the interconnection, living from it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you stayed at the monastery for seven years. Was there any verbal communication at all? <laughs> yeah, that's often people's questions. Yeah, there is a system set up there so that we could practice meditation in everything what we are doing. And what that means is if we're eating, we're practicing mindful eating. If we're working or building a structure, it's working meditation, which are wonderful practices to then bring out into the world and learn how to make our work, how to make our eating, all of that a meditation. But there are systems set up so that we could also have really conscious meetings when we needed to get those kinds of things done or a particular space created about three times a week for people to share and process about what they were learning so we could all learn from one another's experience because you learn so much when you turn your attention inward in that way. So, yes, we didn't socialize, which some people think is crazy, (laughs) but um, I figured that I had been so, so social for so many years in my life that it really would serve me to take a break and turn inward instead because I felt very strongly that I wanted to just deepen in compassionate living. Well, it's interesting, this whole idea of socialization, because you know the dinner table is often a place where it's a gathering place for conversation and where we learn or where we teach our children how to socialize and how to live in society. And I was curious in thinking about mindfulness and eating in silence and how, in a way, it's beautiful because we become more conscious about the food that we're eating. But on the other hand, I think personally that I would miss the socializing element around eating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? Yeah, great question. In my experience, for instance, today, I live and teach out in the world, it's really important to me, for me to have a balance of both. So important for food to be something that is a, a way of connecting community together and community celebrating food and the process of food preparation and all of that. And at the same time, the practice of having room in my life for silent meals is really vital too. So for instance, I was just on a silent retreat last week and what I got to experience, um, because all of our meals were about, let's say, 15 minutes in silence and then the rest of socializing, so Mm -hmm. that balance I'm pointing to. Mm -hmm. But in those 15 minutes, you get an opportunity to, number one, just pause. We are so often running on autopilot, distracted, sort of busy with this conversation in our heads. So a time to really pause and connect with ourselves in a much softer, more present way then to really feel, not just briefly, but with every single bite, our immense gratitude for our meal, for every single element that went into this meal uh, beyond just the plate that we see, from the soil to the honeybees, the water and sunlight, the people who harvested. 
there's so much to be grateful for with every meal. And so to connect with that. And then to simply allow for focused, present awareness while eating. I, I cannot tell you how much joy and nourishment and pleasure is available for us in that. We're so often used to, without knowing it, eating too fast or too much or not really tasting our food fully. You know what I'm pointing to? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So I think that balance today is what I love. I, I create time in, in my life for both. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you mentioned part of mindful eating requires this understanding of the elements and this gratitude for the elements that went into the food being there on the plate. And I was thinking that first we have to have an understanding of those elements and how many of us kind of take those for granted, don't even have a clue about the pollinators and the water and the people that were behind the scenes in creating that food that's on our plate. So how do we, in order to eat mindfully, how do we first educate ourselves about the elements that are on the plate? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think the natural kitchen is a really wonderful resource just to give anyone either a deepening education or a beginning education mm-hmm. about the sustainable food revolution and about everything about where our food comes from. And it illuminates so much for us. And at the same time, I have the experience of, for instance, when I'll teach a mindful eating workshop, someone who hasn't received all that information can just be asked the question of for them to consider, perhaps for the first time, really, all that went into the particular meal they're eating. And they they begin to make the connections themselves and to think of things that I hadn't even thought of with that particular meal, you Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Oh, I'm sure it it is a great revelation for the people who participate in these workshops. I went to a mindful eating class one time, just, you know, one afternoon, and it involved somebody gave us a raisin to put in our mouth and to just let it sit there for a while and be aware of it. And that was that was the extent of my understanding of mindful eating. And, and I know that it's so much more. And I have to agree with you that, for one thing, the natural kitchen is not, you know, this huge volume. It is a very friendly guide. And it is actually, the subtitle is Your Guide to the Sustainable Food Revolution. It's something you could slip in your overnight bag or your purse, if it was, you know, a little larger purse, and just contemplate each chapter. In the introduction, for example, you talk about how our every action impacts the world. I mean, just ponder that for a while with regard to our food system. And then you have everything in here from companion planting when you're growing an organic garden to how to live a zero-waste lifestyle, what's a free-range chicken, to what's the best drinking vessel. So it is all-inclusive, and yet it's not overwhelming. Yeah, it was an incredibly enjoyable project. It's not overwhelming. One of the reasons the project was inspired is because when I moved from even before the monastery, having had many years living as an organic farmer in very conscious communities close to the earth, to Los Angeles, which is where I moved, it was quite a shock to the system. And I was reminded that even in a time when there's a little bit more awareness of sustainability creeping into our culture. Everything that I witnessed around food just 
seemed so backwards. And then a lot of the education and information out there is information that makes people feel guilty or totally overwhelmed or that it's something they have to take on sort of watching themselves militantly, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to create a book that would bring people great joy, that's fun, lighthearted, while also holding space for the gravity of the situation we're in, um, and that really also asked people questions so they could deepen their awareness of the fact that how we treat ourselves and how we treat our world is one and the same. And I feel like there's a, a lot of uh, growth that needs to happen in terms of people receiving a really kind, welcoming, supportive education in sustainability rather than one that focuses on the doom and gloom and then makes them feel sort of guilty and lost. Oh, absolutely. And I think what I love about the book is it is such a gentle guide. Mm-hmm. And you do raise the issues of why it's important, but it's like somebody taking your hand and leading you through how to make your kitchen more aligned with nature. And that, yes. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and thank you for that phrase, how to make your kitchen more aligned with nature, which helps us see how to make our entire lives more aligned with nature. And also that phrase you just shared, someone kindly holding your hand while taking you through that journey. That's, in my experience, how we make long-lasting change, through compassionate discipline, compassionate learning. But many of us don't know how to do that for ourselves. Exactly. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Deborah Eden Tull. She is the founder of Mindful Living Revolution and author of a truly terrific book called The Natural Kitchen, Your Guide to the Sustainable Food Revolution. She has also spent seven years as a Zen Buddhist monk. She is a meditation and mindfulness teacher, sustainable living educator, author, and public speaker. And you also work with UCLA's certification program in mindfulness facilitation through the Mindfulness Awareness Research Center. So you've done a lot of work internationally in proposing these mindfulness strategies to live a more sane life. What kind of strategies would you like to, let's say somebody is now, we've piqued their interest, where do we start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where do we start? Well, we're really lucky because there's so many resources right now that are available for learning meditation and mindfulness. And when I say the word meditation, I'm not talking about just something that we do on the cushion or sitting on a chair, but I'm talking about a a way of life, an attitude of mind that we can bring into everything we're doing. So mindfulness we can describe as the practice of bringing presence to each moment of our life with openness, gentle curiosity, kindness, and a willingness to be with what is. And it's a practice that helps us to let go of old and limiting beliefs that are not serving us. It helps us to have choice in situations where we always fall into the same habit or patterns. It helps us to access a sense of interconnection. In my experience, I would say it literally makes life so much more three-dimensional and joyful. Joy is available when we're present, when we're here. And just to describe a little bit, and then I will go into what are some simple practices people can take on. Most of us, what I say when I teach is that we tend to have a primary relationship with the conditioned mind, which I consider the mind of separation. It talks us into separate self instead of interconnection. 
and the conditioned mind, the stories, the dramas, all of that that goes on in our heads, tends to have three primary agendas. It often points out there's something wrong, either with you or with someone else or whatever. There's something wrong. It points out regularly that there's not enough, so maybe not enough sleep the night before, not enough time in the day, not enough money, not enough love, but, you know, that voice that's always pointing out not enough. Mm-hmm. And it's always pointing out there's something you got to do, okay, even when it's not so. <laughs> More of a sort of um, survival mode, always looking for the next thing we got to do. And... We have the choice in every moment to either be paying attention to that, to be stuck, caught up in that conditioned mind, and that becomes our reality, or to have our attention be resting here in the present moment. We call it maybe a place of living more at center, and this is where well-being, peace of mind, kindness, equanimity, interconnection, things like that exist. So one of the most simple practices is actually a really fun acronym from the mindfulness world that's the word STOP. And it's just a way to infuse throughout your day moments of mindful awareness. What the STOP stands for, everyone can do right now, is simply to stop and then take a pause, whatever you're doing or thinking right now, just a pause, to take in a couple of breaths where you're really feeling the air as it enters your body, fills your body, and leaves your body, just really experiencing your breath. The O is for observe, and that means I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to simply observe, just notice the sensations in my body, being with what is, and I'm going to notice how I'm feeling a little more subtly, my emotions, and perhaps the state of my mind. And then the P stands for proceed. I might go back to whatever I was doing. or So it's a really simple, simple way to begin infusing mindful awareness into one's day, but it's a lot about pausing because for many people, you wake up in the morning and this sort of stream of thought, busyness, and habit overtakes you and you just go along with it for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And um, part of practice is about simply breaking that up and supporting ourselves in getting present instead which connects a lot to mindful eating because we eat usually at least three meals per day, and each of those can be a time to infuse ourselves with mindfulness, with presence, with the nourishment of that instead of keep being caught in our conditioning. Yeah, and it's such a lovely thing when we allow ourselves time to stop and take this pause. I often perceive that pause? Are you kidding? We don't have time to pause. (laughs) If I pause, I won't get as much done. And I don't think I'm alone in this. But our society really teaches us that those items that you listed at first, what's wrong? Yes, we need more. And this is our media at work all the time on us, right? You're not happy unless you get more. And then, of course, we always have something that we've got to get done, something just cr- because it feels so good to cross something off our list. And you're suggesting, actually, that we stop that whole rat race and take time to observe and then transfer this kind of thinking and behavior into what I think is probably the most important room in the house, and that is the place where we prepare the foods and beverages that nourish us and keep us alive and hopefully well. So I like in your book, I'm going to just jump here to a checklist that you suggest people do. 
It's in chapter 16, and it's an awareness writing exercise. And you have something called the personal food inventory. And Mm -hmm. I thought this was so interesting because I was thinking, well, gosh, what if I ask this of myself versus what if I ask this to somebody who is not so deeply steeped in the food system? Mm -hmm. Most of my food comes from, do we even know? Right. And a whole series of questions that follows. I want to let you now take the reins and pull from this book some parts that you'd like to bring forth to our listeners. So the book offers this personal assessment, and it's really useful as an opportunity, again, to stop, to pause, and really just take a look at where am I with my relationship to food and resources? Um, Am I living as aligned with, with nature, with the principles of sustainability, which is another chapter in the book, educating us about the principles of sustainability? Am I living as aligned with that as I really want to be, or have I gotten caught up in little habit patterns going along with what people around me are doing? One of the things I'm passionate about regarding sustainability is I really see it as a daily practice, uh, a spirit bringing to life um, how to live more and more aligned with the natural world. And so it's something I'm continually going deeper in. Uh, even after 25 years of passion for sustainable living. So the book offers a lot to think about and chew on just in terms of how far we're willing to go to really align ourselves with the principles of sustainability, starting with our kitchen, the hearth of the home, such an expression of our values in our all the food choices that we make, and then letting that extend out into all the other areas of our life. And so we go into detail in the book, into specifics about radical recycling and zero waste, which is a really, really fun topic for me, and food waste and composting, responsible shopping, where our food comes from, guidelines for shoppers, what to cook in, what to store food in, how to turn kids on to this, all of these areas. So it's a continual project. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about children because they in particular are, as you recognize in the book, they're so ready for environmental education. They're so in tune with their environment naturally. And our society, unfortunately, largely does a really good job of separating them. And I wonder, with regard to children's exposure to so many media messages and Parents often feel like they have to let them delve into those me- the media world or else they won't be popular or like their friends. You know, they're afraid of their children being different. And so we struggle when we're raising children, trying to lead them down a sustainable, kind, and nurturing path. And then on the other hand, we've got this enormous, I call it a true ball and chain, of the capitalistic, corporate, money-making media machine that tries to teach our kids to consume more all the time. Yeah, yeah, and that media machine really does target our children, doesn't it? It does. Mm -hmm. Any tips for parents? Yeah, so a couple of things that come to mind. One is just, of course, parental modeling and how much kids learn from simply how we are being. And I've had really fun experiences working with families, teaching workshops, um, either on mindfulness with food or organic gardening, things like that, 
where it's just clear to me that um, kids really are the first who are ready to just roll up their sleeves and take on these more sustainable ways, get out into the garden, be the ones who uh, be compassionate about composting, get excited about the new seedlings coming up, get excited about healthy, vital, good-tasting food. And there are a couple things I think we can do to make it more accessible. And, you know, it's true, we are up against this media machine, but one of the things we can do is just to bring creativity into it. I had this interesting experience, both my parents were incredibly artistic, of really getting to have parents who valued me experiencing the magic of nature, Mm. even through food. Our meals are such an opportunity, actually, to connect with the natural world when we're not just eating packaged, plasticized, processed food. It's an opportunity to each meal, connect more with the natural world. And so to see how to offer that to your child, just even the idea of um, food art and infusing creativity, bringing that into the kitchen, that's a way kids can get really behind some of the sustainability that we're talking about. And also just in terms of children, finding ways in your community for so it doesn't seem like, um, well, my kid's really going to, in the end, want the trendy, colorful, packaged peanut thing that the other kids have because it's shiny and sparkly. Finding ways in community that uh, parents can support one another and let's offer our kids these these choices instead together and make them fun and creative and artistic and cool. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I want to let our listeners know that there's actually a whole chapter on sustainable mm-hmm. cooking for children, and the, the subtitle is The Natural Magic of Food. So there's, there's all that you said and much more. Now, do you want to leave our listeners with a send-off message? Yes. I shared this earlier but I'd like to share it again because I think it's really vital. And before this particular line, I just want to remind everyone that we're making huge strides just in the past uh, five, ten years regarding food sustainability, and we have so far to come. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's so much work to be done. And um, it's incredibly fun, joyful, inspiring work. It helps us to access... um, that we didn't necessarily knew we had when we really commit to becoming earth stewards rather than living as passive consumers. Mm-hmm. So to consider to consider that, how can we really roll up our sleeves and dive into it and commit to it being joyful? And the message I want to leave off with is simply the, the statement that how we treat ourselves and how we treat our world are one and the same. That is a wonderful... And I think it's really important for us to learn how to um, shift our relationship with ourselves as we're making these outer changes in the world. There's a lot of work we have to do to create a more sustainable world, to also uh, keep an eye turned within and really be committed to allowing ourselves to have a more kind, centered, connected relationship with ourselves. That's beautiful, Eden. Thank you very much. I want to let everyone know that we have been speaking with Deborah Eden Tall. She is the founder of Mindful Living Revolution and the author of a wonderful, gentle, kind, easy, and fun guide. 
It's called The Natural Kitchen, Your Guide to the Sustainable Food Revolution. And I also want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri by Dan Hemmelgarn. Thank you all for listening. Eden, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Melinda. 